Welcome to Have You Heard, an IDF podcast. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation, a nonprofit organization that improves the diagnosis, treatment, and quality of life of people affected by primary immunodeficiency. People living with PI are the zebras of the medical world, and the IDF community is one big zebra herd. Being diagnosed with a rare disease like PI can be intimidating as well as confusing. Today, a panel of experts will be reviewing some important questions and information that you should use when discussing your diagnosis concerns with your healthcare provider. This session was originally presented as an IDF forum. All right, let's get started. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this evening's forum, What to Ask Your Healthcare Provider. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. I am honored to introduce our presenters. Mary Hintermeyer is a nurse practitioner at Wisconsin Children's in Milwaukee. She has been a member of the Nurse Advisory Committee for many years and is currently the chair of our Nurse Advisory Committee and has presented at other, other live events and virtual events. So thank you, Mary, for being with us. And then I would like to introduce Brian Rath. Brian is an attorney and he is also a member of the PI community. So, Brian, we are so glad to have you with us tonight. And then I would like to introduce Dr. Nicole Rochester. And for over 20 years practicing as a pediatrician, she decided that it was time to share what she learned while she was taking care of her father when he was ill to help other people be their own healthcare advocate, communicate with their providers, and to live their best life. So Dr. Rochester has established her own company called Your GPS Doc. So you'll hear about that. So um, thank you tonight for being with us, Dr. Rochester. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mary. And I can't wait to hear what you have to share with us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kathy. And but it is my honor to be here. I am thankful for this invitation and the opportunity to spend some time with Mary and Brian and with all of you. We are going to be talking about how to communicate with your healthcare provider. And we're gonna really engage in a conversation. It's a panel, but it's really gonna be a conversation and a dialogue that we hope will be very informative to those of you who are joining us tonight. So with that, I want to welcome Mary and Brian, and we're going to go ahead and get started. The first question that I have for the two of you and for us to discuss is, I want to know from your perspective, why is it important for patients with PI, for their family members, for parents, and other support people to ask questions at medical appointments? And Mary, we'll start with you. Thank you. Um, and I also wanted to say that I'm very excited 
to be here because um, it's always been my focus to engage our patients and education is probably the key component of being successful in managing your disease. So leading right into what you had asked me is if you want to have a good outcome with your disease and you want to be able to understand your therapies, how do I implement my therapies into my daily life so that they'll work for me and I can reach my best potential, I've got to be able to understand my disease. And the only way I can do that is with really good, thorough conversations with my healthcare providers. This includes the physician. There is usually a nurse, uh, maybe a nurse practitioner, uh, some other people, a pharmacist might be involved in helping you reach this state. And, and part of the problem sometimes is these are very complicated medical issues. The patients often don't know what to ask because they don't have a good understanding of a very complex medical condition. So I think you need to kind of start out in the beginning with clarifying the terms that you're using and helping the patient understand that. So that guides them to say, what questions are most important to me? Because they might be different for you versus another patient. Excellent. I completely agree. And I, I love that you mentioned that a lot of times patients and families don't know what to ask. And we're, we're going to address that as we move throughout this program. But that's so incredibly important. And I think that a lot of times when we don't know what questions to ask, we, we decide to stay silent. And I think that that's you know, absolutely something that you don't want to do. And so we're hoping today that as we go through this discussion, we're gonna provide you with some examples and kind of a framework so that even if you're not exactly sure what to ask, you don't leave those appointments uh, without having some basic information. So Brian, I'd love to hear from you as a member of the PI community is, for a, a while, and someone with some experience, what are, what's your perspective as a patient and also as a parent? Why is it incredibly important to ask questions in the medical appointments? Thank you, um, and I have been a patient. I am, uh, don't wanna to have to date myself, but I am 49 years old and I've been a patient all my life. I've known about my primary immune deficiencies you know, for as long as I've you know, been alive for the most part. Um, so I was a child growing up in this, um, learning from my parents how to be a patient. Um, and then I have been a, you know, an adult patient um, as well. And the most important reason why we as patients need to ask questions and be informed is it's my body and it's nobody else's body. No one knows how I feel. No one knows what's going on with me. I know best about what's going on in my body. And so um, it is incredibly important for me, one, to understand what my condition is, what my diagnosis is, um, and uh, know the basics of what's going on in my body. And then two, be able to communicate with the doctors because they don't know. And so I wanna be able to know, to be able to communicate, not just ask them questions, but to inform them of what's going on inside of me, because that's the way that we're gonna best be able to treat me and my body. So that to me is the most important reason why there needs to be open communication and I, as the patient, need to know what's going on, um, both walking into the appointment and leaving the appointment and during the appointment. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. I love that you said it's my body. And I also love that you said that, you know, the doctors don't know. And as a doctor, I 100% agree with that. I regularly tell my clients that you are the expert. You know, you are the expert for your body. You are the expert for your medical condition. And despite the fact that, you know, Mary and I have lots of years of education under our belts and training and things of that nature, 
but none of my medical knowledge, none of my expertise, there's no textbook that can tell me what's going on inside of your body. So I love that you've established that right from the beginning, that, that you all are the experts for your medical conditions. If you're a caregiver, if you're a parent, you're the expert for the person uh, that you care for. So I, I appreciate that. So we know that it's not easy, right? If it was so easy for patients and family members to ask questions, then we wouldn't see all of the complaints that I see on social media. And you know we wouldn't have some of the challenges that we have. So in, in your opinion, what are the main barriers that limit or prevent patients and their support people from routinely asking questions during medical appointments? And, and Brian, we'll start with you this time. Well, there's a few barriers. One, we don't just have a cold. We have a condition that is a rare condition that's hard to understand. And it, it's daunting to be a patient and be told we have an immune deficiency and then have to know what the immune system is and how that works. And it, it's, we're complicated. And so that's, to me, one of the hardest parts of all of this is, you know, we don't have something simple. What we have is complicated and it's rare. Um, and so, you know, the best way for us to be able to communicate with doctors is to try to learn something about what we have to begin with. And quite honestly, we're talking to a bunch of people that have signed up for a forum at IDF. That's the first step is educating ourselves. Um, I am a huge proponent of all of IDF's literature, all of our um, all of our books and, and our um, pamphlets for the healthcare providers. And they're also for us. And you know, just to get a basic understanding of this complicated disease that we all share, um, what does it mean to us for us first? And so um, that's the hardest part is we don't necessarily understand what we have to start out with. And so how do we ask the right questions when we get into a doctor's office if we don't understand the basics of it? Uh, so I think that's the most important thing first is for us to A, uh, try to understand it on our own and then also go to our doctors and ask, okay, I don't understand what's going on. Help me understand. That is step one, I think, of all this, of all of the communications we can have with our doctors. That's really important. So just the, the overwhelm of, of, of the complexity of the diagnosis itself makes it difficult. That, that's a really, really good point. What about you, Mary, from a, from a provider perspective? What do you see as some of the main barriers for just being able to engage in these, this type of dialogue in the medical setting? So um, I'm going to bring up a term that maybe just a few people have started to hear about, but it has become in the forefront of healthcare professionals helping them to understand how can we improve communication with our patients and how can we improve their understanding. And it's something called health literacy. So they're really starting to take a look at how do healthcare professionals speak to their patients and are they really communicating the information that they think that they're communicating. So I'm very hopeful with an increased focus on health literacy that in the future, the communications with the patients are going to improve and the communication tools will also um, change so that they're um, readily understandable by patients at different levels of understanding. The other thing that I think can be difficult with patients, and it depends where you're getting your healthcare from, 
If you live um, in a more rural area, you maybe have seen an expert in PI, but because of the distance, you see them maybe once a year, and then they're acting to collaborate in your care with a local healthcare provider who's not an expert in PI. And I think it's difficult for patients because they're going to ask those tough questions to the local healthcare provider who has limited time. They aren't going to know the answer. They're often going to push them off and say, well, call you know, so-and-so's office or call that person and ask, or they really don't know the answer, or maybe they might give some limited information. And that really discourages the patient from pursuing the question and getting an answer and they kind of give up. So part of it, I think, has to be maintaining a really strong relationship with the PI expert that is managing your case, even if you only see them infrequently to get your uh, questions answered. There's always the issue of time. Patients come in and they always feel rushed. And what you might want to actually think about um, doing is maybe you have some separate uh, visits or communications with the provider where I have to do an in-person visit because they have to check my lab work, do an exam, make sure I'm approved to get my, you know, yearly immune globulin authorization in, but recognizing, you know, maybe there's too much going on today. Can we set up a time where we will just connect either by phone or Zoom and we can just have an in-depth discussion? Sometimes it can be with the physician. Oftentimes it's with the nurse or a nurse practitioner because truthfully, the nursing staff usually has more time to spend with direct case management, solving the everyday problems. And a lot of the questions are everyday issues. Like I'm having this problem with my infusion. I'm having this insurance issue, you know, kind of breaking that up a little bit to promote some of the communication. And, and the last thing that I always worry about is, um, you know, everybody views the healthcare providers as the expert. They're extremely educated. They've done research. They write papers. With that comes a little bit of intimidation to the patients. They feel uncomfortable asking a question. They're going to think I'm stupid. I asked this question five times. I can't keep asking it again, but it really has to be two-way communication. So I never want the patients to feel like it's up to me always to know what to say to my healthcare provider. We as healthcare providers need to remind ourselves and our colleagues that it's a very important part of our care that we make sure our communication is good and we seek out a response from the patients. Did you understand that? What more can I tell you? What other resources can I provide to you? If I can just come off of what Mary yeah. said, I think a lot of, sometimes a lot of what we have to do as patients is we have to educate our providers. Because our providers don't know what we have. And I've come across providers who think they know more than I do about hyper IgM syndrome, which is my, my diagnosis. And okay, this, this person may have read an article on it one time or heard about it in medical school, but no, you don't know more than I do. I live with it every day. <laughs> and I have walked into doctor's offices with the PDF download of hyper IgM syndrome from IDF and said, look, this is exactly what I have. Let's talk about it. Um, and so I've, you know, I've had resistance from, from providers, but I've also walked into, I had an allergist. I was meeting him for the first time, um, just my, a new local allergist after I moved. And I walked in and I gave him the printout and I gave him some of my, my other literature I have. And he looked at me and he said, this is amazing. You're why I went into medicine in the first place. You know, I don't need to see somebody else for an allergy shot again that I see 10 times a day. You're interesting to me and you're exciting to me. And that was like the greatest reception I've ever had in a doctor's office. But, you know, so uh, me bringing this literature to him, I had to educate him on what this was. But he was 
excited about it and interested. Um, so it's, you know, it, it is a matter. We do often have to educate the providers about mm -hmm. our specific disease because it is so rare. And that, and to me, as a, as a provider, as a physician, it almost seems a little unfair. You know, it almost seems like a, a, an unfair burden for you to bear. But I understand the, the necessity for that. And I love the story you just shared about, you know, the physician that was open and even excited about that. Um, I will be very transparent and share that many physicians are not, as you share, you know, many physicians, there, there's a certain degree of humility that is required uh, to be a healthcare professional who is willing to say, I don't know. And I think that unfortunately, some of our colleagues don't necessarily have that, that skill or that attribute. And, I, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and I think because you know, we're often viewed as the experts as we've been talking about, for some healthcare providers, it's, it's a very difficult thing for them to just openly acknowledge that they don't know. And, um, and so with that sometimes comes some of that pushback and some of that resistance that many of you have probably faced when you go to the doctor. I'll also share transparently, you know, that as you all mentioned, time, or Mary, I think you mentioned, time is a really mm -hmm. real factor. And um, we all feel that we need, we want more time with, with our patients. You know, those time restraints are almost never dictated by the physician or the nurse practitioner, but mm -hmm. by outside forces and things of that nature. So because of those time limitations, a lot of times when a healthcare provider sees a well-informed patient or family member come in with, you know, a stack of papers or research articles, there's almost this immediate feeling of doom, like, oh my gosh, you know, I have 10 minutes, I have 12 minutes, and I'm going to have to, you know, read this material. But, you know, like your doctor um, did, Brian, I mean, that's a, an opportunity to be educated. And even if the physician or the nurse practitioner doesn't have time in that moment, you know, the correct response would be maybe, okay, you know, we only have 15 minutes today. Thank you so much for bringing this information. I'm going to read this later on today. Or, you know, is there anything really important or can you summarize? You know, there are ways to, to handle that instead of just kind of shutting down or resisting. I also wanted to circle back quickly on something that you said, Mary, about health literacy. And just, you know, defining that for everyone, because a lot of times we hear literacy and we think about like the ability to read and write. But as you mentioned, health literacy really is our ability to uh, understand and interpret medical information in a way that allows us to make decisions about our medical care. And you mentioned, Mary, that that involves the healthcare provider checking in and mm -hmm. assessing how well was that information received? And there have been tons of studies that have shown that what, what we think we're doing, you know, how we think we're communicating and how we actually are communicating are often two different things. And so something that I used to employ when I was practicing medicine and something that was taught to me in my pediatric training is the teach back technique. And I wanna just share that briefly with all of you. And that's basically a technique where if, if I, as the provider, am sharing information with you, instead of just assuming that you've understood everything that I've said and dismissing you, I stop and I say, okay, Mary, tell me what I said. Tell me what your understanding is of what I just shared. Tell me what your diagnosis is. Tell me what the next steps are. And that allows me to, it's really like a quiz for me to determine, did I communicate effectively to Mary? And if you don't understand, or if what I'm hearing back is inconsistent with what I said or what I thought I said, then that gives me an opportunity to regroup, 
perhaps to rephrase, to um, you know, move away from the medical lingo, or just to really kind of recalibrate and restate it in a way that is easily understood. Unfortunately, because of time restraints, this is not something that is done often in practice. But um, but I encourage you all, you know, to if the if the doctor or the healthcare professional doesn't automatically do that or something that looks like that, just really be okay with saying, could you repeat that? You know, I don't really understand what you said. So I think that's really important. No matter where you are along your journey, IDF wants to help you manage living with primary immunodeficiency, or PI. As a community-empowered organization, IDF can provide you with support, education, and resources to help you cope with a wide variety of issues related to PI, including physical and mental health, insurance, and relationships. For more information, please visit www.primaryimmune.org. In terms of specific questions, because we want to make sure that we provide some guidelines, there is a, a campaign that I have loved for many years through the IHI, which is the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, and it's called the Ask Me Three campaign. And it's really just a framework to provide patients and families with three very important questions that you should ask every single time you seek medical care, whether it's in your primary care doctor's office, at a specialist appointment, in the emergency department, regardless of what medical setting you're in. And I wanted to just go through those with you all and get your feedback and see if you have anything that you would add. So the first question is, what is my main problem? And that may sound like a silly question, but a lot of times when we seek medical care, there may be a few things, there may be a few complaints, a few problems, a few concerns that you have. And studies show that many times when patients leave the doctor's office, not a significant proportion of them don't have a clear idea as to what the main problem is. So in, health, in medical terms, we say that, you know, that's your diagnosis. And so you always want to make sure that you understand what is your main problem. There may be four or five things that are going on, but there's usually one or two main things that stand out. And then the second question is, what do I need to do about it? That really gets to the plan. So a lot of times, you know, we're in the room, we're telling you all what to do. We may be writing out prescriptions or giving you referrals, but not necessarily explaining it in a way that's comprehensive. And so you want to make sure that you always understand what is that next step? What do I need to do about this main problem that you've just diagnosed or this main problem that, that we're discussing today? And then the third question, which is not often asked and is not often answered, spontaneously by healthcare professionals, and it's one of my favorites, is why is it important for me to do that? I know for sure that in healthcare settings, we as, as healthcare professionals often don't explain clearly or sometimes at all why we're telling you to do certain things. Why are we telling you to stop doing this or to start doing that? Why do we want you to have this CT scan? Why do we want you to get this blood work done? And if you don't have a thorough understanding and appreciation for why you need to do these things, then it may not rise to a level of priority for you, especially if you're dealing with a lot of other things. If it's something that's painful for you or inconvenient, then sometimes you know, those directives, so to speak, kind of creep down to the bottom of, of patients and families' priority lists. And, and I found even with my own dad, 
and taking care of him, there were a lot of things that he was not doing that his doctors had asked him to do. But in delving deeper, many times he didn't understand the importance. He didn't understand the consequences of not following through with those recommendations. And once I had an opportunity to understand that and to help him understand why they wanted him to do these particular things, his entire behavior started to shift. So I'd love to get you all's feedback about those three questions. You know, what is my main problem? What do I need to do about it? And why is it important for me to do these things? And then also, um, if you have some additional, maybe top two or three questions that you think are important. So I guess this time we'll start with you, Brian. Well, it's interesting because I mean, I'll often go into a doctor's office and I'll have a whole, you know, there could be a list of problems. Um, but if I've got 15 minutes with my primary care physician, you know, the question is, what is my main problem? Why am I here? Usually when I see my primary care physician, I'm only seeing them because I have something you know, significant I have to deal with at the moment. Usually it's an infection. Okay. I, my immune deficiency presents itself as a sinus, as sinus infections first. So, okay, I've got another sinus infection. I'm going in to see the doctor. Okay. This is my sinus infection. What do we need to do about it? Um, you know, what are my options and what, what should, what should we do? Um, and then, uh, there is the question, okay, well, why this over that, you know, why this antibiotic over that antibiotic, um, why no antibiotic at all, you know, what, so, um, but that's my issue. I could have, you know, I could be having, you know, questions about my infusions or questions about something else that may not be as important at that moment. So that's my main issue. What is, why, why am I here? And what is my main problem? Um, maybe those questions about my infusions wait until I see my immunologist every six months or every, you know, whenever I see them next. Um, you know, so I think, you know, unfortunately we might have a number of issues, but some, you know, we do have to pick the, the main one um, going in. And then we also have, I mean, I, I, I know most people with immune deficiencies have teams of doctors. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just the primary care physician. There may be an immunologist, there may be a pulmonologist, there may be a gastroenterologist, I've got them all. Um, so I have to decide which, which main problem goes to which doctor. Um, and that's always another question too. But I like you know, the idea of going in knowing, okay, what's my main issue? And then going from there um, gives me the, at least the, the, you know, the structure, I think, and the understanding going in, this is what the deep problem is I need to deal with right now. Awesome, thank you, Brian. What about you, Mary? Um, well, tapping on to what Brian just said, I mean, that is really key, actually remembering who are you seeing, you know, and what is the purpose of the visit and not getting kind of lost in the other multiple medical problems you have, which are all very important, but you kind of dilute the whole effectiveness of the visit and being efficient with really addressing the problem that is, is there today. Um, and you answered that very well, both of you. What I wanted to look at a little bit more is people who are coming with a new diagnosis. And that's a little bit more overwhelming. And of course, there's a whole lot of questions with that. And everything you listed, Nicole, absolutely right on. Those are the first things you probably want to ask. But it's hard for a new diagnosis person to stop there because there's always a few more that they want to get in there. And it, it's kind of difficult because you can't answer all of these questions in one session, or I should say you actually can't. What happens is 
Um, if you go longer than an hour, this is usually my limit is that I've been talking for an hour, we have to stop because you are going to forget everything we just talked about, you become overwhelmed. So that's another reason to have a list of a few really top questions to get those addressed, knowing that you can come back. Once you've got an understanding of those basic ones, come back and now I can ask some other questions, which actually will mean more because I have this basic understanding. But there was a couple things I did want to throw in there. Um, you know, the last thing you said was, like, you know, um, why is it important for me to do this? And that almost sounds like I'm getting ready to leave the office, right? So before you leave the office, it's always, you should ask, what's next? What is actually happening next? Do I, because you want to know, am I getting that CT scan or I have to go get this lab or I have to see this person? You say all this, they leave, they're all confused about what am I supposed to do? So always ask, what is the next thing that I have to do? And then the other question is, um, I would like somebody else maybe to hear this with me because it's hard for me to remember all of these answers. Can I have somebody else here to have this discussion or can I get them on the phone? A lot of times in the clinic visit, they'll, you know, on the phone, get their significant other, parent or whatever, or so they can listen to everything that you're saying. And I think that is helpful and you should ask that. And I can't see any provider saying no, that they wouldn't do that. The other thing is, when do I see you again? So the, you have some idea, what is the time frame to get all of these things done that I know that I have a follow-up appointment. It isn't just something nebulous out there. You always want to have some closure when you're uh, leaving. And then maybe one other thing, I mean, it depends on what the diagnosis is and what's been going on. But, you know, if you're really afraid of something, there's that unspoken worry in the room. And sometimes when people say immune deficiency and you hear all this, you start thinking all of these really terrible things. And sometimes you worry more than you need to be and, and ask that question, bring it out there. I am really, really worried about this with my child. You don't want to leave there having that unanswered and have that, you know, concern and worry dragging on for a long time. Get that out in the open before you leave. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm sorry. I think one other thing when you're in these appointments, that's very important is having a pen and paper. And maybe some people are better at taking notes on their phone than, than I am, but I am not good at that and not quick enough. But one, going into the appointment, if you have something written down, questions written down, I think that's incredibly helpful because you've already put thought into what you want to know. But having something to take notes on while you're there. So when you're getting these answers, when things get overwhelming, you're writing things down that you can then look at after the appointment, either during the appointment and say, hey, wait a minute, you said this what does that mean? Or even if it's after the appointment, because it's impossible to remember everything that's said sometimes, mm -hmm. especially in the longer appointments when there's more conversation going on. Um, you know, I've walked out of appointments. I, I have notebooks and, you know, that, that have plenty of, you know, my notes in them and I never throw anything away. So I've got notebooks from 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know, I don't need anymore, but yeah. it, it's, you know, it's, it is, even if I know, if I, even if I don't have to look at it anymore, it's a relief to know that I have it. And if I have another question, what did the doctor say? Like two weeks later, I can go back and look and say, okay, look, this is, you know, what the, my notes said. And it's incredibly important for, for us to have a, a way to record what's going on in the appointment, just so we have it you know, for either in the appointment or later. And one more thing, actually, onto what you said, Brian, which I didn't mention, and maybe I was just assuming it's a given. But again, when you leave, it's like, who do I call if I have problems or questions, especially with the new patients? 
That is so important. Everything that you all have said is so incredibly important. The, The notes, I am a huge advocate of taking notes. I'm a huge advocate of having a buddy, someone in the room or someone on the phone on FaceTime these days, you know, somebody else, because like, like you said, I mean, the, a lot of that information um, really goes in one ear and out of the other, particularly if there's bad news that's being shared. If this is your appointment where you're getting a diagnosis, um, there are lots of studies that show that I think it's something like patients only retain about 50 or 60% of, of what we say. And so being able to write that down, I am a notes person, Brian. So when I was taking care of my dad, I definitely would type on my phone, but I just happen to type faster than, than I write. But many people prefer, you know, pen and paper. I love the idea of a notebook. I remember as a pediatrician, some of my favorite parents were those that came with the notebook with every detail. And um, it's, it's really such a great way to advocate for yourself. It's a wonderful way to advocate for your loved ones. If you're caring for someone with PI, uh, because a lot of times we assume, or you may assume in this era of electronic medical records, you may think that everything the doctor needs is right there, just with a click of a button. And Mary's laughing because she knows that that is absolutely not true. Uh, If you're lucky, if you're lucky, your doctor's office, doctors, as Brian said, your doctor's offices and the hospital where it's at, maybe sometime you get care are all connected. But in many cases, there's one electronic medical record being used here. There's a different one being used there. And they do not, as of yet, communicate with each other, which is something that's incredibly frustrating for those of us who are, you know, wanting to take care of patients in the best way possible. So often, and we said this earlier, you are the expert. Often you may be the only one who has all of that information in one nice package. And so having notes either in a notebook, uh, in a telephone or an iPad is just, it's so incredibly helpful for your healthcare providers. And you all are often the ones that fill in the gaps. Sometimes you're the ones that are correcting um, misinformation that has inadvertently crept into the chart. And so it's so important to do that and to have someone else with you that can kind of help you in that process. We, we talked a little bit about new diagnoses, and I want to go back to that for a minute because we know that for many patients, but particularly for patients with rare disorders, rare diseases, it often takes a long time to get that accurate diagnosis. And many patients and families have stories of having to go to multiple doctors, you know, presenting to the emergency department over and over again before they finally got a diagnosis. And many times they will say, I knew something was wrong. You know, I had a gut feeling and they felt like they were being dismissed by members of the healthcare team. So as we talk about how best to communicate with your healthcare providers, I would love for each of you to share any tips that you have specifically for those in the beginning part of this journey who are you know, newly diagnosed or trying to figure it all out and feel that they're getting some resistance from their healthcare professionals. Can you share some tips, Mary? And then we'll go to you, Brian. Um, well, I, I'm wondering if you're talking about, you know, the healthcare professionals that aren't the immune deficiency experts, um, because the immune deficiency experts, when you come with this story, it's like, I've heard this story like 50 times. I already know where this is going. I think I already know what's wrong with you before we've even, you know, explored all of that. What you might want to say to the other people, because they do feel like 
and they do see every day. Of course, I think you all realize that people with um, multiple complaints that really haven't risen to the serious diagnosis is immune deficiency. And they see more of those than they do see of immune deficiency. You can always say, is there someone else I can see for another opinion? And, you know, I, I would say most healthcare professionals are fine with you seeing somebody else for another opinion. What they can help you with is finding people in your area probably that are easily accessible for you or for your particular problem. Um, you know, they might be able to help refer you again on to someone else. I mean, there's a lot of experts, you know, in the country, but it isn't accessible for everybody to travel to some of these places. But usually in a regional area, you know, probably within at least three or four hours of your home, there is probably somebody with a level of expertise that can help you with all of that. And, and I would pursue it. And the other thing is do some reading, contact other places like the Immune Deficiency Foundation. They provide a lot of information. They have a list of experts out there. You could do some reading and find out, wow, this all of this information sounds like what I might have. And you have to remember, as Brian is, is mentioning, these are rare diseases. And even trained immune deficiency professionals have not seen all of these rare diseases. There's often a handful of patients um, with these particular problems and they might read about them, they might study about them, and depending on the size of their practice, they may never have seen a patient like this. So it doesn't hurt to bring your information, your data, your concerns, and if you can't help me, please redirect me to somebody who can. That's, that's great advice. And I just want to reiterate what you said about second opinions. If you are seeing a healthcare provider that is not open to uh, facilitating a second opinion, you probably need to consider getting a new healthcare provider. You know, mm -hmm. that's an ego problem and that is going yeah. to potentially interfere with your ability to get exceptional care. So I appreciate that. Brian, do you have any tips or have you experienced this in your journey? Well, I, again, um, sometimes it's up to us to educate the doctors or, or, or the mm -hmm. providers. And especially with a new diagnosis with, you know, and if we're dealing with a physician uh, or a practice that isn't an immune deficient expert, uh, maybe it's our, our primary care physician who, um, uh, you know, through blood work or through tests has identified an immune deficiency. It is going to be up to us to help educate them. It is, unfortunately, there is an onus on us as patients to advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as Mary mentioned, the IDF is the place to be, the place to come to, and uh, be able to obtain all of this information that's available from IDF that we can then share with the physician uh, or share with the practice and say, look, this is what I have. You just diagnosed me with this. Um, you may not have access or have time to go to IDF and learn about it, but I do because it's my, it's my body. And so this is what I've learned. And you know, we don't have, you don't have to learn this here in our 15-minute appointment, but this is if I'm going to be in your practice, you need to know about me. And so this is what it is, you know, and hopefully the, you know, ideally that the provider should be able to take that information and learn from it and be able to treat you in the future because of it. But we have to advocate for ourselves um, a lot of times um, more than I think we'd like, but it's, if the more that we're able to do that, the more we're able to access resources at IDF, we're able to, put together uh, the kind of questions we need to ask. We're able to uh, understand the basics of what we have in order to go into a, uh, into a physician's office and say, now look, this is what I have and these are my questions around it. 
You know, another um, point to make too, Brian, when you're mentioning all of that is sometimes the physicians don't know how to find an expert physician. And within the IDF, they actually have the listing of the physician. So you might want to tell the physician, go to this um, website and they will list all of the experts in this area. And they're very receptive to being contacted by any other healthcare provider to ask questions. And that might be a, a step that kind of pushes them in the right direction to help you. Excellent. Excellent advice. I'd love for each of you to share any closing thoughts that you want to share about this topic. Uh, we'll start with you, Brian. Well, I think I just sort of shared my closing uh, thought is that we have to be our own advocates. It's important for us not, as patients, as caregivers, as parents of children um, that, are, that are our patients, you know, it's up to us to learn as much as we can about our own diagnoses then take that information into our provider's offices. Um, you know, the more we know, the, the better the communication will be with the provider and the more we'll be able to understand what the provider is saying to us. And so I think that's, you know, it is, it's, it's on us as patients. So this is the, the first step is to come to a forum like this. You know, the next step is to look at all the, um, all, all the information IDF has you know, take part in all the IDF um, other events. We're educating ourselves so that we can then go out and be our best advocates. Awesome. Be your best advocate. Absolutely. What about you, Mary? Well, I can maybe um, speak a little bit to the providers, and this is a thought for the IDF, but how about a forum for um, teaching healthcare providers how to speak to their patients better? You know, some increasing their health literacy with the patient, because as we said, communication is a two-way street. And I do believe when you are working in immune deficiency, you're here by choice. You didn't just end up you know, doing this specialty. You are committed, you are dedicated to it. And most providers really wanna do the best that they possibly can for their patients. When I meet a patient for the first time with a new diagnosis, I'm thinking this is the beginning of a new relationship because you know that we're gonna take this journey together once. And I say to them, once you meet me, we are going to be very good friends for a very long time because there's gonna be a lot of question. There's gonna be a lot of issues that come up. And during that journey is really when you help educate each other I educate them about their disease and the treatment. They educate me um, about what experiences they're having and what are their barriers to the best possible healthcare. So it helps me, you know, change my practice. So I'm throwing that out there is, you know, a session for the healthcare providers. Add, add my vote to that. Okay. I love that idea. I absolutely okay. love that idea. Um, and I guess my closing thoughts would just be, you know, to, you are the expert and we've really, I feel like we've talked about that in many ways this evening. You are the expert. Be confident in that. Even if you're in the early stages, even if this is a new diagnosis for you, trust and believe that you know your body better than anyone else. And let, you know, with the resources that have, have been mentioned, you have the ability to learn about your diagnosis. You are the expert. And, and really see your relationship with your healthcare provider as a collaboration. We are way past the days where there's this hierarchical relationship where the doctor's here and you're here and yes, doctor, no doctor, you are an integral part of the healthcare team. And so really embrace that identity. Thank you, Mary, Brian, and Nicole. This has been very informative. Thank you for having us. Thank you, we enjoyed it. So thank you everybody for being here. You're not alone in your journey. We are all here for you. 
and we will provide you with the resources and everything that we can to make your journey as easy and wonderful as possible. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation. You can watch this forum and many more forums on our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash IDF videos. If you like our show and want to learn more, please subscribe to this podcast so future episodes will be sent to your device automatically. To learn more about primary immunodeficiency and the PI community, please visit the IDF website at www.primaryimmune.org. And if you have a question you would like answered, email us at idf at primaryimmune.org. Thanks for tuning in.